This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and guess what can help keep you alive? Listening to Rick and Paul on the radio. Well, for sure. <laughs> but according to even more research, maybe drinking wine. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Today we're going to talk about some of the health impacts of wine. We'll tell you not to take any advice from us about the health impacts of wine. <laughs> or anything <laughs> or, else. Yes. We have a listener question about why he and his friends tend to like less expensive wine. And as usual, we will make fun of wine snobs. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and today we're talking about wine and health. But we need to start with a warning, don't we, Paul? Yeah, we do, because we are not doctors. We don't play them on the radio and don't take any health advice from us. In fact, I think it's a safe rule not to take any advice from anybody on the radio, period. Yes, and and, we'll, and for us in particular, uh, don't also don't take financial advice That's right. or relationship advice, which we get asked a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Any advice at all, I, bad idea. I radio, think... not a good place to yes, get it. Yes, this, this is not the medium. However, (laughs) nonetheless, so we are just reporting. We have a handful of new studies about wine and health, and we're going to relay them. Fair and balanced, you decide. Oh, yeah, like we're ever fair and balanced. No, but we are adorable. (laughs) (laughs) All right. First, a real warning, by the way, besides just us. This We joke about this, but these are a couple of studies that before we start talking about all the good things, we need to report these as well. Uh, we ha- A study from the American Psychiatric Association said nearly three out of ten Americans have some kind of severe alcohol-related problems. That's yep. 29.1%. Yep. It's either alcohol dependence or alcohol abuse. And abuse is characterized as, you know, once, even once or twice uh, in a month where you severely overdrink. It's not, <laughs> you know, a, a big party and coming home with a hangover, but really way, way yep. out of control. And, and one of the big issues is binge drinking. And there yes. are some really interesting maps of the United States that show where wine is consumed, where beer is consumed, where spirits are consumed, and where binge drinking occurs. It's sort of interesting that actually the states where people drink more wine, which are basically the Northeast, uh, Florida, and the West Coast, Coast, actually aren't the places where you see the most binge drinking. The most binge drinking is right in the heart of America. Well, you, you don't often see somebody off of a bad day walk into a bar and say, hit me with a cab. (laughs) <laughs> right, right, <laughs> yeah. right. Um, they may of, get hit by a cat, yeah, but could that's do. different. <laughs> that's, yeah, so that, that, that'll leave a headache. That'll um, leave a the, headache. The, we also had, a, and speaking of which, and this is actually something to know about even really just that night at a party, which is the a Loyal University, uh, Chicago's Stritch School of Medicine Alcohol Research Program. It's a long name. They said that binge drinking or, or really heavy drinking, and, and even just one night of it, for the moment, reduces the body's ability to recover from things like injuries and healing of wounds or even colds. And here's how it Hmm. works, and this makes total sense, which is that when you get highly intoxicated, your body sort of revs up its immune system to deal mm-hmm. with the toxins, and that's mm-hmm. what alcohol mm-hmm. really is. Yep. And then, like anything else, after after it's done revving, first of all, it's focused on dealing with those toxins, not the cold or the sore elbow right. or whatever it's it is. dealing with the alcohol. But then it drops 
uh, and and for about five hours later, it drops for a length of time as long mm-hmm, as twenty four mm-hmm, to forty eight mm-hmm. hours. They say this effect is actually worse for women. So you know, when they talk about like don't drink a lot when you have a cold, or if you're a runner or whatever, right. and you've got a sprained ankle, yep. you know, yep. you actually heal worse when yep. when you've been. Well, drinking. I'm always. I have to admit, I you know, I'm a cyclist. You're a you're a runner, but I am often amazed by the people who go on long bike rides and then want a beer to recover. And I just think, you know, that actually isn't what I want to put in my body right now for exactly that reason. It doesn't make me feel better. Oh, you know, if I ever go for a long run or ride, I'm thinking about a beer about a third of the way in. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's this. uh, And this is actually an important study, too, although this is a little more complicated. This uh, just recently, in the last month or two, from the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health and Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. And this was what's called a cohort study. So it wasn't that they tested people yes and no on this. This was they looked at a a lot of data over years. Mm. So just even one glass a day can increase the risk of breast cancer for women as much as 13 percent. And it's a lot more complicated. And I've talked to a couple people about this study, and and they said the problem with the study like this is that it isolates all of these individual risk risk factors and then comes up with these numbers. But it doesn't doesn't, uh, collate all the risk factors, which is, you know, whether it's other lifestyle issues or places people live. And in fact, what's fascinating about reading studies done in Europe versus reading studies done in the U.S. is even the difference between what they define as moderation. I was quite amused to see that at one point I was reading a study that had some research that actually drinking in moderation wasn't perhaps as good for you as some of the other studies. It indicated it was done in Scandinavian. Moderation was defined as four glasses a day. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> when they say two drinks, they mean a bottle each. Yeah. I think yeah. we have, as the saying goes, killed the buzz. I think we've taken all the fun out of this show yeah. right there off the top. Uh, all right. Um, but there are a couple of good studies on red wine and aging. Keep that red wine cool. Keep it calm. Don't let it get excited. That's what helps your red wine age. We're talking about people, Paul, not the wine. Okay. Keep them cool. <laughs> Keep them in the dark. <laughs> well, if you listen to us, you are in the dark for sure. <laughs> okay. All right. But these I are, knew that. These okay. Are I'm good. Also some recent studies, and th- these are good news. And what's interesting about all of these studies we're about to go through is that they are all at moderate levels. So once again, it's not the high end. It is also the resveratrol, which is one of the key components, is at the level of a drink or two a night. A lot of the early studies were at really high levels, and so it was was difficult. But now they're starting to look at the lower levels. So red wine can play a significant role in slowing down the brain's aging process. This may explain why we're so immature. I think that's it exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I started drinking when I was very young. (laughs) Um, they actually it, this it also helps battle the onset of Alzheimer's. This was in the Journal of Alzheimer's Association. It was mm-hmm, researchers mm-hmm. at Rust University Medical Center in Chicago. It was funded by the National Institute of Aging. So this is this is a big deal study. Another one of the things that we studied: nine hundred and sixty people over uh, uh, four and a half, uh, almost five years, hmm. and and they averaged at the end of the study at eighty-one and a half years old. So mm-hmm. they started them, you know, by seventy-five or seventy-six. Yeah, and. Um, and what it found was that a glass of red wine or two a day uh, reduced by they're actually aging uh, all of the, the pieces of the brain that they think leads to Alzheimer's, but also you know dementia and other things mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, by as much as seven and a half years. 
Uh-huh. Um, and the, the, the key, though, and this is an important thing, too, and, you know, we joke a lot about you know, stuff and food and wine pairings often, uh, but, you know, it's also eating healthy. And, and it, it was in, uh, coordinated with a couple of different diets that have been studied for a long time, the Mediterranean diet, something called the DASH diet, which is dietary approaches to stop hypertension. Without going into the details, it's all the stuff that you know, you know, whole grains, leafy vegetables, you know. Uh, lighter polished, meats, polished barley, polished barley. Should you eat polished barley? Yes, we make fun of polished barley all the time because that shows up in this one particular wine writer. So it's wine the Mediterranean diet with a glass of wine, more or less. Yeah, and you get to be a little old Italian person. Yeah, pretty much. That's pretty much it. And the things to avoid are you know sweets, whole fats, uh-huh. fried foods. Duh, right? Yeah. Um, no. So yeah, okay. Boy, that's this is this is just earth-shattering news, right? I know. Well, it's scientific research <laughs> that the stuff that you know is actually what you know. That's right. It, it turns in, out some of it's true. In my case, sometimes I need scientific research <laughs> to find my way home. So this is helpful. <laughs> this is actually very helpful. Okay. All right. Um, this was another one, and this was uh, a study. Uh, we had mentioned some of this before about uh, the Scripps Research Institute in La Jolla. Mm-hmm, and dear mm-hmm. God, isn't that a great place to be doing research? Yes. Um, if I wanted, if I were doing research, I would want to be in La Jolla. And then they're doing it on wine. Mm-hmm. These Perfect. are lucky people. Perfect. Um, and then it, the 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 resveratrol. I remember that comes from the skin, so it's right. it's red wine. Red wine. And more this than is white. what I was just saying a little earlier. They said that there is enough in two glasses of wine to do those things that they talk about to protect the DNA uh-huh. against genetic damage. Um, it, it binds with some of the uh, amino acids in your body to keep the, the enzymes activated that, that help do that. Boy, I'm confused, but I will tell you this. You know, for, for people who want resveratrol, yes, you can get it out of red wine. Also need to say it comes in pomegranate juice, cranberry juice. You know, eat turkey dinner every day for the rest of your life. Eat a lot of that cranberry sauce. And you're you know, getting your resveratrol. And you know where you can also get these healing, uh, this healing compound that comes in grape skins? Grapes? Yes, you can actually eat the grapes. <laughs> yes. I've heard they make wine from grapes. I've heard that too. You know, I was <laughs> didn't actually. We have a, didn't we have a descriptor in a recent show where the person it said tasted that it like grapes? Tasted like yes, grapes. that was pretty good. Actually, you know, I, I was teaching a class and I was it, right when one of these studies came out and I was telling them that it mostly comes from red wine because the skins. And somebody asked a very good question. They said, Well, so there's less in whites, right? And I said, Oh, a lot less. Said, so we need to drink more. Ah. So the key is a lot more white wine, ah, and you're doing okay. just as good. Okay. All right. All right. We have another. Uh, there's another study about uh, red wine and fat. Uh huh. Okay. And well, as as you know, uh, around here we. Um, red wine and fat. Yeah, we it, are. It we are. To, it goes together like soup in a sandwich. I was going to say it, we could both probably use some of this on our heads, but that's a. <laughs> oh, I think we've got <laughs> enough fat on our heads right now. Yes. All right. <laughs> so once again, our friend Resveratrol. It turns, uh, according to researchers at the Washington State University, and this was in the Internal Journal of Obesity, and you know how I'm always combing these things. (laughs) (laughs) It turns that flabby white fat, this is them talking, that flabby white fat into fat-blasting brown fat. Which burns energy. It's a different form of fat. The fat. So the white fat is a complete a complete storage unit, and it's basically there for to guard against your body uh, going, you know, Hungry. being starved. Right. Right. The the, uh, the that brown fat is actually something your body uses, knowing that it will need energy. Does that mean that if you brown butter when you're cooking? It gets better? Yeah. I don't know. I, I think it, it does. It, it, yes. And uh, so, how did they figure this out? Well, they used mice. <laughs> <laughs> poor, poor mice. <laughs> they, they were uh, they they what they did was uh, the mice they they got them a high fat diet, but some of the mice, the lucky fellas, got uh, resveratrol 
Did uh, they, they get resveratrol, or were they given two glasses of wine a day? No, apparently it was just resveratrol. Oh, they actually, man. Give the see, mice a break. It was the equivalent of servings of two or three servings of fruit. Oh, uh, give the mice. You know, give the mice. I you know. And the question is, if you're a mouse, would you prefer a Syrah or a Merlot? You know, the, my, mice, I'll, quite, they are totally, well, I think I'll, they're Pinot drinkers. I'll bet Mickey Mouse drinks Merlot because it's an alliteration. And yeah. You have the Mickey Mouse Merlot. Or it could be Malbec. <laughs> uh, anyway, they, the... the, the <laughs> The good, the lucky mice gained forty percent less weight than the other mice, and they got to drink Merlot. Yep. Uh, uh, they, and, okay. So here's the other thing. This is another study that I was digging around on this to see what there was confirmation. The Journal of Nutritional Biochemistry, another one of my late evening readings, <laughs> um, that uh, there's something called the elagic um, acid, which is also in dark colored grapes. It's actually a, something that forms out of your body, forms out of the resveratrol. Uh, it inhibits, oh inhibits the growth of fat cells and keeps new ones from forming. And you can get it from drinking grape juice or, as you said, eating uh, eating grapes and, and other juices as well. This reminds me of the guy who is seeing his doctor, and the doctor says that given the way his body is right now, he needs to cut out all fatty foods, all alcohol, and give up sex entirely. And the guy says, do you mean I'll live longer if I do that? And the doctor says, well, it'll seem a long <laughs> Well, it may seem really long listening to us, but, uh, but uh, that, that's, it, uh, that's it for now. Uh, Thank goodness. We are, we are going to take uh, questions from listeners when we come right back. Stay with us. Listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, it is time to take some questions from listeners. If you'd be like like to be someone who asks us a question, go to rickandpaulwine.com, all one word, Rick and Paul Wine, or look for us on iTunes. You can subscribe for free, one little itty bitty click. If you are new to us and you want to know uh, what qualifies us qualifies us to be answering questions about wine, let alone health, about health, we are completely unqualified. Nothing, nothing on health for sure. No, nope. um, barely qualified on wine. Uh, Paul, he may be a little qualified. He's a respected industry <laughs> pro. He answers questions on allexperts.com, teaches at Napa Valley College, the Culinary Institute of America, around the world. And Rick, uh, Capital Public Radio wine uh, commentator, as well as longtime journalist, written a couple of books, one of which New York Times bestseller on the barefoot spirit, all about wine and and how to sell it and how to drink it. And no fat in that either. No, f- no white, white fat or brown fat. No, That's br- what I want ne- Neither. Neither. Okay. It is all le- lean and muscular. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, maybe not. Our first question is one we get a lot. We get this, you know, at least some version of this kind of a question. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it's from Terry and Morgan Hill. He said, some friends staged a blind tasting for 20 of us. It was about 20. With a whole bunch of wines. There were Zins, Cabs, Petit Syrahs, and a few others I can't remember. But here's the thing. For almost all of us, our favorites were almost always the cheapest wines. There were some very expensive cabs there, but the the ones that were the supermarket prices, they were the ones that won. What happened? Yeah, this happens in my class every year when I do a blind tasting. And the truth is that... In most cases, what you're looking at is the wines that are made for what we're going to call that maybe 5 to $12 price point, maybe up to $15. They are really made to not have any uh, rough edges. Right. They're really sort of the, the Chevrolets of the wine world. They're made so that they don't offend anybody. And what happens Unless you're is, Ford. <laughs> right. Fair enough, or Toyota. (laughs) And what happens is as you start getting into more expensive wines, winemakers start taking a few more chances. They They try to pull out a little more from the fruit, emphasize a few things. 
And for many people, whereas you might prefer a wine that has more nuanced polished barley, yes. Rick, and yes. I might prefer a wine that has more delicate nuances of Charente melon, <laughs> yes. the truth is we might not, we would dislike wines because you'd like your polished barley, I like my Charente melon, and we wouldn't agree. But the one that doesn't have so much individual character, that tends to end up showing pretty well in a large group. Yeah, before, uh, I, I wanted to pipe in, but I, in case somebody didn't hear our show last week, these were two descriptors <laughs> that we've, we've been making fun of, and we've decided we're, we're adopting them as our, as our pet knuckleheaded descriptions. <laughs> um, in fact, bad writing, as, as our brilliant engineer, Mappacini, suggests, might be considered polishing the barley. That's right. We're going to polish some barley. Yeah, right and, and, and that is, you know, and often the case, I mean, there's studies that show that, Terry, that, you know, that when, when people are not told the price of wines, right? That the and they are they are. It's like anything else, you know. There's a, a one of the great uh, screenwriters uh, in Hollywood, is a guy named Aaron Sorkin, and I really mm-hmm. really enjoy this man. He's a very smart guy, and he was talking about look, if you are if you were going to make one kind of meat, think about all the ways to make beef, really mm-hmm. any meat almost, mm-hmm. um, you know, and you can whether if you know you cook raw with sauces, but if you're going to make one piece of meat that you want the most people to like, right. it'd be something along the lines of McDonald's hamburger. Right. You know, it'd be rich, it'd be juicy, it'd be simple right. and straightforward. Right. And in a way, if you are talking about something that most people are going to like, it's going to be, you know, once you know, once you start to go into all of these edges, a different person will like it, but everybody across, around the room. Same is true of music. Yeah. Yeah. Same good is true example. of music, yeah. of that old middle of the road stuff everybody looks down on, but it turns out that if you got to pick something that's going to make the fewest people unhappy, that's probably what you're going to pick. That's why I'm so heartbroken about One Direction breaking up. There you are. Okay. There you go. <laughs> Christine Vallejo <laughs> says. We were eating dinner at a restaurant bar and asked the bartender about the wines, and all she did was give us one-word answers, like, the Chateau Smith is a Chardonnay, and the cab was medium. What do you do when that happens besides stiffer on the tip? Well, I, see, first of all, she's been listening to our show. The bartender, she's terrified. <laughs> she had this whole presentation about polished barley and, <laughs> and Chardonnay, Chardonnay Mellon, and then she right? heard our show, and she said, I ain't saying anything about these wines. It's a Chardonnay. Cabernet, medium. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, first of all, Clearly what's going on here is the bartender doesn't actually know. That's exactly right. And the bartender is trying to cover up her lack of knowledge by simply giving a couple words that she hopes will help. And in that case, it's actually an, a better tactic to simply ask the bartender, would you mind if I took a look at the bottle? Yeah. Because the back label of the bottle is probably going to give you more information than the bartender's going to give you. And if the bartender knew that, the bartender could do her job and read the back label and know that. But this bartender clearly isn't doing her job. So you kind of got to do it for her. Yeah. And this is the bartender, too. So there's there's two ways to go with this. And one of them is uh, you could say very nicely, because you really because this is the difference thing if you're sitting at the bar and if you're going to do like my wife and I love eating dinner at the bar it's you know we many of our favorite yeah. Actually, restaurants I've heard it say that you they like don't to drink your dinner but well that's bar. true too uh, most of the restaurants <laughs> don't like us there because people can see us and then oh, <laughs> if they're right. here we're not Chases coming in yeah it does it really hurts that's business right. uh, but you know you're going to be there a bit probably if you're ordering glass of wine and some right. food and so you don't want to alienate your bartender so that's right so so the two ways to go is you could say um do you have a wine is there a wine person because I just had a question you know right. don't now, make it don't make it sound 
sound like she's in an act. At say, the same time, Rick, how many times have you been in a restaurant where you ordered a glass of wine and you had a question about it and the server said, I have to go ask the bartender? Yeah. Well, so your assumption that the restaurant has somebody who knows Very more about wine than the bartender may be an incorrect assumption. Very good I mean, point. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying that you're wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, <laughs> all right. My, my, other, my other point, I'm going to be a little, little more right, uh, which is if you're sitting at the bar, it's the, and especially if you're thinking about wines by the glass, yep. the bottles are open. Oh, a- yeah. Ask for a taste. Yep. And you'll get two things Great out of that. Point. One, you'll get you'll find out if the bartender really is a jerk. Right. <laughs> but also, yep. you know, there's no better way to and it's that's it in, It also tells the bartender that you're a little serious, so yeah. the bartender will pour you to, and again, ask to see the bottle too. Yeah. Can I take a look yeah, at the yeah, bottle? Yeah, that's absolutely All true. of those are good ideas. Right, right, right. See, right. We, we actually answered a question, Rick. You're, you're welcome. Time, Christine, time to wrap. Christine, up this would show. you write this down um, <laughs> and send this out to your friends and say Rick and Paul actually answered one? The next one comes from Emily in St. Helena. She says, "I just moved here and I'm starting to learn about wine. I always hear people talking about wines that have good acid. Do I want that? It doesn't sound delicious. It sounds like a pickle." <laughs> <laughs> well, she's right, and of course, what you have to realize is different people like different kinds of apples. I'm, I'm. Uh, um, guy that likes apples with a certain amount of bite to them. The little, Pippin style the apple. Pippin, yeah, the Pippin, yeah. the Macintosh, the, yeah. what is it they have out there in Sonoma County? The um, Sonoma County apple? No, no, they have well anyway. Just trying to rescue yeah, you here, thank Paul. Thank you. No, you didn't do a very good <laughs> job of it. But those apples have a bite to them. They have a little, they have good acid. Whereas a red delicious apple is sweet, but it isn't crispy. Yeah. It isn't lively. And so... People who like good acid in their wines are probably the same kind of people who like an apple that has a little more zing to it. Yeah. And people who don't are more the golden or red delicious kind. Yeah, and, and the one thing also— um, Nobody's right, by the way. It's just what they like. Right. And one thing often what they're talking about, too, is in some ways um, with wine, with acid in the wine, is they're not talking about a wine that's sour like a pickle. They're talking really about a wine that's got a little bit of uh, of something at the end of it. You know, like the, the apple. You like the apple, but like the difference between orange juice and, say, orange Kool-Aid. Uh, right. Yeah, that's that's kind of one. Um, right. Or fresh-made orange juice versus concentrate, which is often sweeter and has less acidity. Right. Well, we can we can keep breaking that down into to many nits. Um, but we wouldn't have to because actually my example of the apple was perfect to begin with. Fine. <laughs> All right. We're going to have uh, more questions uh, later on in the show, but uh, when we come back, we're going to have some truly horrible wine writing. Stay with us. Excellent. You are listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. We've got some uh, truly horrible wine writing ahead of you, and we're going to see how you like these apples. You know, it's sad that our our listeners can't see you donawn that huge Afro wig and start dancing around oh, yeah, the studio true. when that music comes I, on. I think I'm it's really quite that. an image. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> All right, so Paul, what do you got? Well, I've got one. It builds nicely on what we just talked about because mm-hmm. here is a wine that is uh, a nice word, strident. It's a strident wine with notes of citrus and gooseberry. Ah, uh, yes. That's sounds, a, like, sounds like a pickle to me. 
It does, doesn't it? A strident wine, yeah. A strident wine with citrus and gooseberry. I don't know that I want a strident wine. It well, seems you can't discuss anything with a strident wine. You just want wine. it to sit down and behave itself. Yes, yeah. I know strident wines are always a pain in the neck. They're the ones that dominate conversations no, too. They, that's right. They could be. They could actually be authoritative. <laughs> yes, they, they could be. There, all kinds. And and so you've got something a little more. I well, mine's a whole different direction. This was from a very well-known wine writer's blog. Okay. This is even the 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 title alone. Is um, is bad enough? Does extended maceration obscure terroir? It goes on. Does extended maceration? I'm. This is blah 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 stuff. To the extent that it occurs in many amphora or in orange wines, obscure or trump site and grape variety. This was really a good question. I was asked by a friend, good friend today, in part. The difference between the skin contact. I'm just. I could go on and on, but it's that same. It's the kind of. Let me just get you in the middle here. The. Uh, well, white wines lack those anthiocins, which explains the different, more grippy mouthfeel that skin tannins possess in these wines. Post-ferment macerations are particularly interesting. Blah, blah, blah. This is this is talking about how to make a piano instead of listening to the music. Oh, dear Lord. It's the kind of thing, and this is like a, and, you know, and there was no comments on this, I have to say, by the way, because nobody right. knew what he was nobody talking knew, about. Nobody cared. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we hope somebody cares about us. You are listening to Ball Talk with Rick and Paul. We will have all kinds of stuff when we come back for the second half of the show. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Oh, I'm telling you, it's so inspiring, so so strident in a good way. I miss trumpets. those guys on our on our annual uh, year year celebration yeah, shows yeah. because we didn't use them, and it's nice uh, to see them again. We, thanks, we, guys. Uh, yeah, thanks for coming. We can. Uh, thanks for. I uh, hope you enjoyed your week off. <laughs> Okay, Paul, so what historic history moment have you brought well, us Well, I'm today? going back. You know, one of those guys is, in fact, from ancient Rome. I was talking to him earlier today. Oh. And this is a history note from ancient Rome. Uh, wine, of course, in ancient Rome was considered a necessity of dev- everyday life, not a luxury. And it was for everybody, not just the elite, because it was good for you. Yeah, this yeah. It gets back See, to our they, comment about health. They knew the health stuff way back then. Cato famous senator said even slaves not the green the green arrows not, uh, green not, hornets no uh, no no this is Cato the senator said even too, slaves yeah. should have a weekly ration of about five liters of wine so that's about five bottles so it's actually mm. six bottles uh, he said it was good for their dietary health of the slaves and the maintenance of their strength not for their enjoyment. Yeah, we don't want them enjoying it. So I hope they were served strident wine with <laughs> yes. enormous minerality. <laughs> Uh, but Romans um, uh, also be, beware drinking too much wine. There was a tendency towards madness if you drank too much I've wine. I've heard about that. And while um, Lucretius said that wine could provoke a fury in one's soul uh, and lead to quarrels, I like Seneca's line. Seneca the elder said, "Drinking wine magnifies the physical and psychological defects of the drinker," which I, might explain us. I have found just... that to be not true because I have found that. Um, when I drink wine, I become infinitely more wise <laughs> and, and charming, clever yes, and yeah. actually better looking, too. Yeah, you know, I've, I've heard that about you, Paul. <laughs> I think uh, I think the, the residual effects, however, uh, Seneca is absolutely right, apparently, <laughs> are both of our physical and psychological defects are 
apparent right now. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what do you got? Oh, I got more of the details of the Romans and their views of health and wine. Yep. It was recommended for a cure for so many kinds of things. Mental mm-hmm. disorders such as depression, depression, memory loss, and grief. Mm-hmm. Frankly, I always thought it, uh, it added to memory loss, but... Uh, body ailments, they include things like bloating, constipation, diarrhea, gout, halitosis, oh, yeah. snake bites, tapeworms, and urinary products, and vertigo. Once again, doesn't wine cause vertigo? You know, I think it's pretty much accepted now that if you are bitten by a snake, you should probably open a nice Cabernet. <laughs> that's what you do. So that's why you should always hike with some a Cabernet right, <laughs> right. alongside, just in case. Just especially, in case. Especially in the summer when it's snake season. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, and they had, I mean, I, I do like that some of the, the stuff they broke back, and our, our man Cato, you yep. uh, talked about um, like a recipe for a, for laxative was wine made from grapevines treated with a mixture of so I think that these were the grapevines themselves actually this uh, were treated with a mixture of ashes manure and an herb called hellebore. He also recommended soaking uh, soaking plants like juniper and myrtle in wine to help with the snake bites and gout, although wine actually causes helps cause gout. You didn't know that. Um, and the other thing was he also believed that the mixture of the old wine with juniper boiled in a lead pot. Oh, yes. Got mm-hmm. aid in urinary issues. They loved lead, actually, because it, um, it, it added sweetness. Well, but, you know, the one thing I should point out is one of the reasons that all of these uh, ancient Roman medicinal things started with wine was because the other option was to make something out of water. And the water would kill you. I mean, the water had so many pathogens in it, it would kill you. So you always started. And in fact, if you look today at so many of the uh, flavored wines, whether it's vermouth or whether it's even some of the more alcoholic products like chartreuse, uh, they were all uh, Fernet Branca, the Amari in Italy. They were all developed originally as medicinal Taking wine, adding herbs to it in an attempt to make something that was healthy or at least wouldn't be as fatal to you as drinking the local water. Yeah, I mean, it really is something to understand about Western culture, which is Western civilization, is that unless it was water was running, the, people didn't know why, but they did know that you know carrying water, still water, would get them sick pretty quick. Yeah, and so and they also learned very quickly that some level of alcohol prevented that. So. So uh, wine and very, you know, very bad and low alcohol beer and then you know, and spirits became hugely valuable, mm-hmm. not just because of it got you drunk, but also because you could drink something. You could drink something without dying and from And it the... wasn't until our man Louis Pasteur figured out what was going on that uh, really that, they, that the world started to be able to change. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, more modern health uh, conclusions, however. Okay, good. We have a few more. I thought we'd sort of run through some of those things. Uh, once again— we need to remind people, do not take health advice from us. Do not take health advice from anybody on the radio. Yeah, do not, yes. Particularly us. Particularly us. us. <laughs> so these are some of the studies that we have found recently and have talked about that wine has an impact on. And I like a few of these. It can guard, red wine can guard against gum disease. Spanish researchers found that the grapeseed extract in red wine slow the growth of the bacteria that forms in your mouth that creates acid and forms plaque. So, so it, forget the Listerine, a quick wash with a Listrac, a red you wine, and you would be... I got, I got that. Yeah, yeah. See, you got that? Yeah. Okay, good to go. <laughs> okay, you can pay me later. Yeah, so. now, there, we, we, we also do need to point out, because we have talked about this, that also wines, and even worse, white wines, 
because there's high acid in them, right. are, can be hard on your teeth as well. So. Yeah, although not in a glass a day levels, but when no. you're judging wine like we do in a competition and you're rinsing and spitting your mouth with 100 different wines over the course of a day, it peels away your teeth a little bit. Or drinking to the way, as the Romans say, that you can get a little bit of madness. Um, yes. yes. Until we, start, uh, we start really looking good and sounding that's smart. That's exactly right. <laughs> Another is that it cuts asthma risk. And this is interesting. Huh? This is an eight-year Danish study of almost 40,000 people. They found that the people who drank two or three glasses of wine a week are less likely to develop asthma than those who don't drink at all. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. Um, there was another one that it protects hearing. At this point, you're supposed What's to say— What's that? Yeah. See. <laughs> And I know it was coming. Yeah, you had to know it was coming. <laughs> this is researchers at Detroit's Henry Ford Hospital divided rats, poor rats, once again, into two groups, and gave one group resveratrol before exposing them to potentially deafening noises. Oh, what a sweet study! I know the other ones were less. Uh, the ones that got resveratrol were less likely to lose their hearing. And here's an interesting fact, by the way, Paul. Uh, many of those uh, those rats became huge fans of heavy metal and acid rock. <laughs> Sure they did. Yeah, no, it's sure, totally I'm sure true. they did. Actually, what they, what they say is that it uh, that the resveratrol reduces the inflammation caused in the tiny cells hair in the ears that that are called uh -huh. the cilia, and with those, those are uh, so it's anti-inflammation, which is yes. something that resveratrol is documented for doing yes. in lots of different things. Yes, so, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. Also, uh, interesting. you know, I think if there's one thing we can study or we can conclude from all of these studies is do not be a rat. Yeah, that's a yeah yeah. <laughs> Just do not be a rat. Thank you, Jimmy Cagney. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. No, we're just amusing ourselves. <laughs> but yes. Yes. Well, let's hope we're amusing somebody else. Matt is not amused, so that's no, not a good we sign. We just put him to sleep with that one. <laughs> All right. Um, but also, there are other studies about helping in, in cancer treatments. Um, the University of Missouri found that resveratrol makes cancer cells more susceptible to the anti-cancer treatments like radiation. The radiation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. And also, uh, the Boston University School of Medicine uh, found that uh, it, it improves the quality of life. Now, who didn't know that, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Apparently, moderate drinking, basically two drinks at night, 14 a week. And, you know, the, the, the order that you drink these matters. It can't be 14 drinks on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> people tend no matter to have, how badly your local football team is playing. That's right. But people tend to have just generally better health and enjoy a better lifestyle and enjoy their lives. They test positive for Again, happiness. They they are stronger, they are smarter, they are wiser, and they look better yeah, after a couple that, exactly of glasses. Right. Why wouldn't they but, enjoy their life more? But here's the thing about this Boston University uh, study was that they, they studied 5,400 Canadians, 50 years old and older, I thought Canadians were always happy. Well, I'm wondering why in Boston you had to go to Canada to find people to study. Because they're too grumpy in Boston. <laughs> I'm thinking of my relatives now. Uh, oh, boy. Right. So, yeah, there, right. go, go, there go two of our remaining three <laughs> yes. listeners right Sorry. out the door. <laughs> All right. Well, we also know what is good for someone else, and that is us answering questions. So let's turn, as we often do, back to our mailbox and take a few more questions. And a reminder that if you'd like to ask us a question, we will give you credit for it. Just go to rickandpaulwine.com, all one word. And don't forget, you can also find us on iTunes and subscribe for free with just a little click. <laughs> this one comes from Angela in Portola Valley. We had a question like this not so long ago, so this is another good one. My husband buys a lot of good wine. We love all kinds of wine, and that's the good part. That's a great part. But. He never wants to open the good stuff because it's like the occasion is never important enough. Oh, yes. So how do I either get him to stop wasting money on wine we won't ever drink or get him to open the good wine? Okay, so th there's a really easy answer to this. But I, I want to go back to an, an earlier part here where um, um, 
they all they like all kinds of different wines. First of all, kudos to them. Yes. Right. Yes. Now, the reason he doesn't want to open the good stuff is because in his mind he has a list of the good wines he owns, and that's a pretty long list. That's that list maybe seven, maybe even eight inches long. You start taking wines off of that list, and that list starts getting shorter and shorter, and it's all about size. Uh, so he doesn't want to pull any of those wines out because his list is no yeah, longer eight inches long. Now yeah. it's five and a half inches long, and he's unhappy. Yeah, you know, there's another thing, too. We and we had a question, I think it might have even just last week about this sort of thing. Uh, Paul still got a little smirk on his face from that all-about-size comment. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it happens with— all kinds of stuff, but nothing more than with wine, like with wine, which is that you get something special, and and you know, Angela you sort of said it. It's never special enough. Right. But here's the answer for Angela. How do they sell diamonds? They sell diamonds with uh, a very simple promise: if you give a beautiful woman a diamond, uh, she will sleep with you. Yeah, yeah. All Angela has to say is, "Honey." If you want to get me in the mood, <laughs> you better start pulling out yeah. the good wines. And trust I, me, Angela, he will be pulling those out morning and night. I was going more hallmarky. No, um, no, 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 no. Well, I'm going straight with the use yeah. the De Beers concept. Yeah, you know, it's not it's not a bad argument actually. Uh, yes, you can you can be very clear about that in in wh- whichever way works best for you. Well, I was doing the hallmark thing, which was you know have special occasions built around opening that wine. You know, right. so let's make Saturday a special occasion, dear. Let's make it. We're going to drink one of our really good wines. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. we could add the Paul Spart and wink, wink, you might get lucky. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, if you don't open one of those wines, uh, you ain't getting so lucky. Far. Yeah. yeah if, if you're not opening those wines, I'm watching a late movie. So, <laughs> all right. This one comes from Steve and Marin. You know, I know this feeling. Uh, how do I know what wineries I want to stop at when we're in wine country? Sometimes there's so many we just get overwhelmed and just keep going. You know how many wineries there are in the Napa Valley now? Uh, well, a brick and mortar, there's like 300 plus, aren't yeah, there? Yeah, and each year it gets higher. I think it's up over 450 now. Oh, geez. Now, Actually, not all yeah, of them, yeah, yeah. Uh, clearly not all of them have tasting rooms, and many of them that have tasting rooms are not open except by appointment. But you can call and get an appointment. Yeah. I know exactly. I live in the Napa Valley, and every time I drive up and down the valley, I notice a new winery. Yeah, up. yeah. And it is it is overwhelming. I know that feeling, especially when I'm in a, a region that I don't know so well, which right. Right. You know, is that, you know, I was just down in Paso Robles doing a story down in Paso Robles during the summer, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, I, I know I know a handful of those guys very well, and then a, a handful of others I know their right. wines very well. But there was a bunch I didn't know, and I'm driving down the road, and I, do, do we stop here? Do we stop here? Do we stop right. here? Right. And so the first thing, just pick one. Let go. Just pick one. Let go and just explore. You know, you, know, you can you can say the third one on the right. We're going to the third one on the right. right. And if right. you don't like that one, go to the fourth or one. Or we'll right. pick the one that has the most letters in its first name. Yes. And then once you get started, it gets easier because when yes. you're there, say, if you like their wines in particular or if they're nice people, you say, so where else should we go? That's right. We really like this wine. What else should we visit? Right. And if you don't like that wine. Say, who's who's better than you? <laughs> no. <laughs> you say, we'd like something different, a different setting. Yeah, that's yes. right, a different style. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it's exactly the same as opening one of those wine lists that has 700 wines on the list. And, and the, it's sad, but it is the way our human brain functions. You know, there's a study recently, Rick. Paul, we've never actually been described as having our brains function like other humans. But <laughs> I was just going to point out that I'm about to quote a study to you. Oh, good. I lo- you know um, I love my studies. 
beautiful study in which they put um, jam on supermarket shelves, six flavors of jam, and they walked consumers in and said, would you like to buy any jam? And about 35% of the people bought jam. Then they put 24 jams on the shelf and said, would you like to buy jam? And 3% yeah. of the people oh, want yeah. too many choices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's the same with wine. So relax. They're all going to be probably pretty good. It's all going to work out. You're on vacation. You're supposed to be having a good time. Just pick a winery that you like the look of. And if it doesn't work out, go to another one. Frankly, there aren't that many bad wines being made these days. You're going to have a good time. Yeah, that's the, that's the real truth of it, too. You know, it's very difficult. And if you, know, if you walk in and there's some, some guy crawling out and, you know, he's looking hor- horrified of what he just tasted, turn around and leave the parking lot. But you, <laughs> in most cases, I don't think you have to. It really is don't sweat it. Yeah. All right. This was from Laura in Sacramento. Hmm. We were at a restaurant, and the server poured massive glasses to all of us, including my elderly mom, and finished off the bottle for four people. We would have poured half as much in our glasses. What should we do? Yeah. It's, it, first of all, the, the server was absolutely incorrect in doing this. Yes. The, the correct amount to pour into a wine glass is roughly a third of the glass. So basically, if you think of that one glass— What if glass, you have a giant glass? It, you still, you know, <laughs> you still want to get it to the sort of—you uh, only fill it to the very widest part of the glass. Right. And then where the glass starts to taper in again, the top two-thirds. And that's so you can swirl the wine around. There's a reason this woman did this, which is she pours the bottle, which means if anybody wants any more wine, now you got to order a new right. bottle because right. the first bottle's already gone, even though grandma over there— has taken two sips and has a full six ounces of wine still left in her glass. Right. There is a solution to this, and it's a little odd and a little goofy, but it is to literally ask the server, could we have another set of wine glasses because we'd like to be able to swirl our wine, ask her to bring the glass, pour a third of, the, of your glass into that glass, drink out of that. Hopefully that will send a message. Um, if she objects, call for the manager because yeah. this is actually incorrect and bad yeah. wine service, yeah, and yeah, it yeah. shouldn't be done. Yeah, and that, and that right. That she was just trying to sell you more wine. This is not your responsibility, Laura. This is it is their job is to take care of you. However, yep. what I always say is it is never a problem if you decide to take control of you of the wine pouring. So right, you see that going. I know it feels almost uncomfortable because I've been there too. You know, yep. and but you know you can say hey hey. You know, after the first one, you know, right. could you pour a little less? Right. The, um, in fact, frequently when I am the I am the person at the table who tastes the wine initially, if I see him pour the first glass, I will immediately step up and say, could you pour about half that in all the other glasses? Because actually we'd like to swirl the wine. Um, you know, Alice Faring a few months ago had a pretty interesting article about that. And she didn't really come to a conclusion other than to say that you're the diner. You're the customer, you're paying for the experience, and you get to decide. Absolutely. And the other thing I always say, too, is um, especially if, you know, if there's this tendency, if you have a larger group, you might have a couple bottles of wine. And so right. if you see them start to pour heavy, but even without that, I always say, you know what? We'll take care of the wine pouring for now. Yep. I say in a very nice way. You know, it's, you, you got enough to do. We'll, right. we'll handle the wine pouring. Right. Because what they're doing is they're looking to, to fill up the glasses. The other thing you do, of course, is, you know, grandma's got a full glass. Just snag hers. What's she going to do? That's yeah, right. Actually, yeah. the, the correct way to do that is to say to grandma, grandma. What is that picture over there on the wall? So as she looks away, then you go in and you get the glasses. She never noticed. Yeah, yeah. She'll never notice. That is a, uh, it's a not uncommon problem too. But feel free, absolutely feel free to to do whatever you need to. Say something. Say something. Slow it down. Do something. Yeah. Take control. Yeah, absolutely. Take control. 
All right, we have another one. This is from Jeremy in Santa Cruz. He says, I just moved here from Irvine, and I keep hearing this area is great for some kinds of wines because it's foggy. Mm -hmm. Doesn't fruit need sun? It does. But if you want to produce a wine that has that crispy character of a crispy, fresh, lively apple, you also need acidity. And oh, acidity there we go. back to the apple. There you go. And see, acidity comes from keeping the cool the grapes cool at night. They need to get the sun hitting the leaves to produce the the sugar in the grapes during the day. But at night, if the vines cool down, they don't get so tired. They don't get so run right. down. They, they actually still... stop growing if it's too hot. And yes. And in the evenings, they kind of refresh themselves, and they keep the, the grapes in balance. And that's why you grow Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, maybe Riesling, Gewürztraminer in, in the Santa Cruz Mountains, right where Jeremy's living. And he's absolutely right. It's a pretty great place to grow grapes. Yeah, it is. And, you know, wine grapes are unlike most other agricultural products, is that they are, um, you know, if you, if you want peach, you want rich soils, lots of sunshine, big, mm. juicy peaches. But in truth, in wine, they're not, they don't want big, juicy grapes because the juice is the least tasty part. The, right. the flavor the comes from the skins. Yeah. So if yeah. you have a smaller, yeah. less juicy, you actually get more flavorful wines as well. Well, and Jeremy should be aware of the fact that that fog that comes into Santa Cruz and cools that region down and makes it really nice for Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, it usually doesn't get up and over the hill onto the west side of those mountains. And you've got Ridge Montebello, one of the right. greatest Cabernets on the planet, not just in California, but on the planet. And it grows within 20 miles of where Jeremy lives, but it's on the it's on the other side of the hill from the fog. And so those grapes get a little warmer and you can grow a little richer, more powerful grapes like Cabernet. And that's a pretty great place to live, Jeremy. You can you can drive within for within 20 miles. You can drive around and get some of the greatest wines on the planet. Yeah, you know, and it's funny. If you go on wine tours, you know, whether it's in Napa or Paso Robles yep. or in Bordeaux. Or you know, Lodi. Yeah, they will, even Lodi, right? They'll talk about the cooling coastal influences, the, yep. the fog coming yep. in. You know, that part of it is always very important. They That they do like, as a winemaker friend of ours, Michael Weiss, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. um, from Groth, uh, he yep. says he always likes to think of grapes like people. If grapes are happy. If they can sleep well at night because it's cool, then, just like yeah. he can, then yep. his grapes, it's a good yep. year. So, And, of um, course, in California, if you're not on the coast, then the other place you go to get that cooling influence is you go up. Right. And that's where the Sierra foothills get up in elevation, and it cools down at night up there at 2,500 feet more than it would right. on the and valley floor. Speaking of sleeping well, I think we've put enough people to sleep. Uh, so we are going to zip up the mailbag. <laughs> Matt, and, are you still awake? <laughs> yeah, we hope our engineer is alive still. Uh, <laughs> if you'd like to ask us a question, uh, go to rickandpaulwine.com. That is all one word, Rick and Paul Wine. And coming up, we will have a food and wine pairing for you. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and it is time for our food and wine pairing. And I have chosen one because, frankly, I just had a really good version of this. Oh, good. And it, okay. but, I, but, but it is, I found it to be a really interesting and slightly complicated uh, 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 pairing, yep. which is grilled abalone. Okay, which is not 
commercially available. You no, have to know yeah. somebody who can get it. Right, right, right. And and I was in a region, kind mm-hmm. of a foggy region on the Sonoma Coast with some Good. friends, and that's yeah. what they do. They dive and they and they grill uh-huh. it. Uh-huh. But it's an interesting combination because it's you know it's a there's other things that are sort of like that too. If you think about like grilled calamari, you can go to restaurants yes. where it's grilled. We've got yes. that that it's a slight meatiness, a slight grilliness. Um, yeah. There's a handful of things that, that can go with it well, and there's a couple things didn't work. I bet I know what your wife drank with it. You got it, yeah. She drank sparkling wine, and she Absolutely was happy perfect. as a clam, if right. I may use a seafood analogy. And it's, a, it's a bad one, but nonetheless, yes. <laughs> uh, happy as a lobster. No, a clam is <laughs> No, better. a clam is yeah. better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a good one. Um, sure. Because, you know, you think about what you've got there with those those grilled sort of uh, seafood like that, you yep. know, and there's richness. But there was a, one that is sort of not a surprise and gets um, uh, and gets uh, uh, dissed a lot, which was yep. a buttery Chardonnay. Yep. Went yep. really well. And that, so that was the especially group. If you, if, especially yeah. if you're frying up the abalone in a little butter. Well, I think that happened there yeah. because that was and a really good one. it's pretty yummy. Yep. So how about a red? Is there a red that you would pick with this? You know, if I'm drinking, if I'm eating abalone, I'm going with whites. But I, I will tell you something like a Pinot Blanc is pretty good, too. But I, why make this complicated? Bubbly and Chardonnay. And it doesn't get any better than that. And it's what everybody can find and everybody can enjoy it. And it's a perfect match. And we shouldn't make it too complicated. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and, you know, uh, we did actually try Sangiovese with it. Did you? Yeah. It didn't go badly. Really? Yeah. Okay. It didn't go well. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was okay. And what you, it's okay. I mean, it look, was okay. good wine, you good know, food. You yeah. can drink them together. But in the end, yeah, that 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 moment where you put the wine in your mouth and you look at each other and you think, oh, my God, this tastes good. That didn't happen with the Sangiovese. No. No. I like the Sangiovese, though. It's good wine. Yeah. You can make yeah. it. It's just not well, an abalone that is, that's sort of that's sort of the principle. Now, put it's, the abalone in a tomato sauce, and I'm and it's... Perfect. Yeah. Well, I think it's a little bit like us, which is to say that uh, no matter what you drink with us, you find us delicious. Uh, that is it for there another round go. of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Uh, our engineers, Matt Bassini, thank thanks, you so Matt. much. Uh, thanks to Capital Public Radio for the audio use, uh, studio use. Excuse me. If you'd like to ask us a question that uh, we can answer, go to rickandpaulwine.com, all one word. And if you learned anything today, we hope it's that wine can be part of a healthy lifestyle, no matter what the Rom- Romans thought. That's right, and and we are part of a healthy lifestyle, too. Just don't overdo us. I'm Rick Cushman. I'm Paul Wagner. Remember, the best wines you drink are with friends. Or with us. Especially us. 